0: Open your Bibles, the book of Revelation, chapter number 19. We're thankful for each of you that are in the service tonight, and this certainly is a tremendous Tuesday night crowd. I like Brother Caldwell, I'm very mindful of the fact that there's any number of places you could be on a Tuesday night, but here you are in the house of God with the people of God getting ready to hear the Word of God. I so appreciate uh, Brother Burton, who's back, and his sweet wife, some of their people. This is Brother Burton's second night, Uh, he and his dear wife, of being in the revival meeting. And uh, Brother Corey Baines, thank you, sir, for coming. I've known Brother Baines for a number of years. And uh, both last night and again tonight, a good number of Brother Baines' people have been with us in this uh, spring revival meeting. And then I have uh, one of my Timothys with me, Brother John Mark. Came all the way from Frederick, Maryland, to be in the service tonight. I so appreciate Brother John Mark and his sweet family, and we're thankful for each of you that are in the revival meeting. I appreciate our sister who sang a moment ago and the pastor's daughter who sang. And Brother Brady, this is the first time that we've had the privilege of sharing a platform together, my privilege, and I appreciate so much the scriptural songs that you sang and uh, the neat uh, twist. Uh, that you have on them, not not literally. We don't believe in the twist, but uh. <laughs> oh, that's funnier than you're letting on. But uh, thank you, my brother. I, I appreciate that. Book of Revelation, chapter number nineteen. Uh, this being the last night of the meeting, I certainly would be uh, remiss if I did not take a moment to publicly thank my dear friend Brother Caldwell, Sister Caldwell, the Caldwell family, and the church family of the Faith Baptist Church in Martinsburg, West Virginia. This is the first time that I've had in coming and uh, I'm not even gone and I'm looking forward in getting back. Thank you for the comfortable motel room, the delicious meals, the warm times of fellowship, every act of kindness. I appreciate the uh, large uh, snack basket that was uh, in my room and it's amazing everything in that basket. It's amazing. Everything in there was uh, friendly to the diet that I'm on. I've been trying to lose a little bit of weight lately, and uh, I'm on the Fatkins diet, and everything in that snack basket was Fatkins diet friendly. And so thank you so much, preacher, and uh, those who provided just uh, every act of kindness and the meals and the fellowship with your pastor has been just a blessing. And it's refreshing for me to get around uh, younger preachers that uh, are serious and are uh, stable uh, and uh, are scriptural. That that just blesses my heart. You know, if we're not careful, uh, we'll buy into the wrong idea that everybody's a compromiser and that everybody's a capitulator. I don't believe that. I believe there's still some good young men of God around that are hanging on to their King James Bible and are hanging on to their convictions, and uh, I, I need an altar worker to deal with this sinner who's just <laughs> come forward to get saved, that are still hanging on uh, to their Baptist, Baptist distinctives. And uh, so, I appreciate the Caldwell and the evident hand of God that's upon him. And I'm honored to have this trooper with us. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for your service. I pray for you fellows every day of the world, and thank God for you, and thank God for your service. As you're turning to Revelation chapter number 19, I want to make mention that uh, on the uh, table uh, there's a number of things that may interest you. Uh, I have, in the last uh, three meetings, and I've never done it before, but uh, I've discounted, and I've never done it before, I've discounted our preaching CDs, normally they're $5 a piece, but... Last three meetings in a row, I've just uh, have kind of slashed the price, and they're now three dollars. They've gone from five down to three. And uh, I don't know how long I'm going to do that, but I'm doing it in this meeting. And so, uh, I've got a number of preaching CDs on the book table, product table that may interest you. I just randomly grabbed one tonight as I was coming in, and uh, it is Have You Carried Your Alabaster Box to Christ? Every believer. Has an alabaster box, every believer does, and uh, we were blessed tonight uh, by uh, Brother Brady because of his alabaster box. We are blessed by the preacher's daughter because of her, because of her alabaster box, and uh, I hope in a moment you'll be blessed by me giving my alabaster box to the Lord. Every believer has an alabaster box, and we're not to keep it, but we're to give it to the Lord. And uh, out of all the messages I preach, hundreds of them, this is Mrs. Hamlin's favorite. Have you carried your alabaster box to Christ? Now, we don't make change at the book table. I'm out of bank. And so, uh, if you give me $5, I'm giving you a CD. (laughs) I'm going to say thank you, but I'm going to give you a CD. If you give me $10, I'm going to say wow, thank you, and I'll give you a CD. We don't make change at the book table you give me $100, I'm going to say, wow, you get a CD, a thank you, and the tablecloth as well. That's what you'll get. And so I hope that you'll go by the book table and uh, maybe uh, pick up a preaching CD. Brand new, recently published by the Sword of the Lord is our devotional neology. Now everything on the book table, everything is sermonic. By that I mean it is sermons that have been preached in meetings and conferences. But this has a different uh, flavor, has a different feel to it, and it is a devotional on prayer, neology. And there's 31 different and distinct daily devotionals that if in 31 days with your Bible and this devotional, the goal is to take all of our prayer lives to another level. Brother Burton, you'll find it interesting, I had a lady by neology in a revival meeting not too long ago, and she came back to the book table another night in the meeting and said, "Uh, Dr. Hamlin, I didn't know that you could pray for things as a believer. She said, I didn't know that. And she said, I learned that in neology. We can pray for things. And she said, I began praying for money for my son's headstone who unexpectedly recently passed away. And she said, within 24 short hours, God gave me half of the $600 that I need for the headstone for my son. And she said, I'm going to just keep praying till the rest of that money comes in. If that's all that God did with neology, it would be worth all the energy, all the effort, all the expense that I've tried to put into it. And so it'll help all of us with Our uh, prayer lives, neology. Now here's uh, here's how it works. I uh, make a statement about prayer. I'll just uh, randomly grab one. This is day 10. Prayer, heaven's GPS, God's positioning system for the believer. Prayer, heaven's GPS for the believer. Then I give you a quote from one of the giants that are gone on that same truth. This happens to be by my mentor, Dr. Tom Malone Sr. You will never go any further than when you move upon your knees with God. Then I give you a Bible verse, Jeremiah 31.9. And then I just give you one paragraph, just one paragraph on that truth. And so the uh, goal in eology, the goal is to take all of our prayer lives to another level. I know churches that have absolutely uh, ordered boxes of these, churches have, to give to their church members. Also new uh, is the book published by the Sword of the Lord as well, Ask the Evangelist. And this is uh, a uh, year's worth of questions that were uh, posed on my social media platform. I took uh, the week of my birthday, uh, March 2018 into March 2019, And on every Wednesday, I would answer three questions that were sent uh, either by text message or voicemail or email or a direct message on social media. And the whole time I was doing it, I knew that it was going to be published by the sword of the Lord. And so we put it into uh, chapters. There's a chapter on major trends, there's a chapter on motivation, there's a chapter on my ministry. There's a chapter on ministry helps. There's even a chapter on mistakes. And so uh, this is kind of like an Internet uh, Q&A session. Ask the evangelist. That's new as well. So you're turning to Revelation chapter number 19. May I mention uh, seven reasons I can't become a compromising liberal? That's brand new. Published by the sword of the Lord. And a sermon where I just deal with compromise. And I deal with capitulation. In this one sermon, there are 80 plus, 80 plus Bible verses in this one sermon. And so a person could not take this sermon, take their Bible and follow along without coming to the same conclusion that I've come to on why I can't become a compromising liberal. Now, I won't give you all seven reasons because (laughs) then you uh, you won't buy the pamphlet. But I'll give you one. A reason that I can't become a compromising liberal is I don't look good in skinny jeans. (laughs) And, which means there's more to come, a shirt that resembles a blouse. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Seven reasons I can't become a compromising liberal. You almost have to be saved 100 years and have a note from your mother to get this one. It is absolutely hard-hitting. As long as I can, I will throw in the card uh, 40 truths learned in 40 years. I've tried to pay attention these years that I've been saved and I've scratched down the truths that I pray that I've learned. Things like uh, number 8, old-fashioned, spirit-filled, red-hot Bible preaching still works. Amen. Then I give you a Bible verse for that. Uh, things like uh, number 16, prodigals will never stay back unless somebody welcomes them back. And then I give you a Bible verse. Uh, things like, uh, oh, number 31, live in your own flower garden and love the fragrance of those very same flowers. And I give you a Bible verse for that. You say, preacher, what in the world are you talking about? Well, contentment. There's so many Christians that are discontent, and to be content is a safeguard all kinds of dangers uh, and uh, destructions that can come uh, into your life. And so uh, I think it's a pretty good deal. Uh, you uh, purchase uh, Seven Reasons, I Can't Become a Compromising Liberal, and I'll, I'll throw this in. It took me 40 years uh, to learn these things. You're getting it for free. I'm telling you that is a really good deal. I hope that you'll get our prayer card. Uh, Mrs. Hamble and I would so covet your prayers uh, I uh, preach uh, once a day, have for many, many years average preaching once a day. And uh, the reason that I can keep going like I do, have a schedule that literally is wide open is because of people like you that pray for me. And I would, ser- I would certainly covet your prayers. I'd ask if I could that you pray for Mrs. Hamlin. She's been battling uh, the flu that's been going around I sure hope she hasn't been to China since I've been out of town. Now, I thought that was hilarious, but I hope that you would pray for her. And she's battling the flu, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing her early, early tomorrow morning as I fly back to Detroit. Revelation chapter number 19, and I'll begin reading with verse number 11 through verse number 16, where we find the text of the message, book of Revelation chapter number 19, beginning with verse number 11 through verse number 16. And I would invite you to stand with me as I read the Word of God. Again, thank you so much for the Caldwell, for the privilege of being in your pulpit these days. I sure appreciate you. Thank God for you. And I believe the greatest days of the Faith Baptist Church, hear me, church, I believe the greatest days lie yet ahead under my friends, capable Spirit-filled and wise leadership. The book of Revelation, chapter number 19. I have given you more than enough time to find my text. If you've not found it yet, then wherever you are in that hymn book, just stop right there. Just stop right there and pretend it is Revelation, chapter number 19. I begin reading with verse number 11 through verse number 16. And I saw heaven open. the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now I'm not going to preach entirely from this 14th verse that's found here in this 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. I cannot read it without making some type of a comment. Here is the second reference or if you will, the second mention of either a white horse or white horses. You see the first mention in verse 11, a white horse. You see the second mention in verse 14, white horses. You may have the burning question on your lips. Why is it that the Lord and the people of the Lord will one day return on white horses? Well, the answer is simple. The good guys always ride on the white horse. (laughs) Verse 15, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Please look back with me at verse number 12. Book of Revelation chapter number 19 and verse number 12. His eyes were the a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. A little phrase in this verse that, uh, oh, some time ago absolutely caught my attention and I pray that it would capture yours. You may want to underline it or underscore it in your Bible. And it's that phrase, and on his head were many crowns. Do you see it? There it is. And on his head were many crowns. When we started this uh, spring revival meeting in Sunday school on Sunday morning, I spoke to you on the subject, the classic verse on revival Sunday morning why you should be saved today Sunday night five reasons I want far-reaching revival and if you're in the service last night you know that I spoke on the subject but who weeps over our city but keeping that little phrase in the forefront of our thinking and upon his head were many crowns. For a few moments I want to speak to you on the subject tonight, but where did all these crowns come from? (laughs) Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this privilege to stand behind a sacred desk to preach the word of God If on my heart I want to be a blessing, but the only way that I can be is if you hide me behind the cross and fill me with the Spirit. Place a hedge around this great church by the blood of Christ to keep the devil and his demons from hindering this service. Save the sinner and stir the saint. Heavenly Father, for all that you'll do in our midst and even in our hearts tonight, we will be careful to give you all the praise and honor and glory. Bless and protect my precious family as I am away. Give us fresh, warm bread from the oven of heaven to feed from tonight. Lord, I'd request, oh, how I would request that should clothe me in my calling. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. If there's an event that will stand above all the rest in heaven, it would have to be the experience when the saint gives back to the Savior their special garland. Just think about it for a moment. The same brow that had a crown of thorns pushed upon it uh, there on earth will there have a crown of triumph placed upon it in eternity. The child of God's single motivation for service should be the garland that they can secure and then send back to the Son of God. Where? Did all these crowns come from? In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, uh, verses uh, 11 through 16, we find the second coming of the Savior. Now, this chapter could be easily or effortlessly outlined like this the celebration, verses 1 through 6, the proclamation, verses 7 through 10, the revelation, verses 11 through uh, 16, and then the elimination, verses 17 uh, through uh, 21. It is well, the Apostle John is dealing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, with uh, there the revelation that a person sees a heart-moving, projected scene. Verse 12, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. That word "crown" uh, crowns in the Greek language means uh, diadems. Monarchs, uh, Brother called well, who claimed authority uh, over more than one country, wore more than one crown. It was Plitome, Philometer, who when he entered Antioch as a conqueror, wore a triple crown. Two for Egypt and the third for Asia. An individual can only feel the full weight of this phrase and on his head were many crowns when they have correctly found out that this will take place after, that this will take place after, that this will take place after uh, crowns have been presented to worthy believers at the judgment seat of Christ 2 Corinthians five ten. for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Friend, you and I, those of us that are saved, can place a crown upon the head of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say in passing that If we should be uh, so blessed, uh, if we should be so favored, if we should be so benefited to get a crown. Uh, Why, uh, we're not going to uh, sport that crown. We're not going to set that crown uh, on a mansion mantle. But we're going to make sure that that crown is sent back to the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Where did all these crowns come from? There are tonight at least three people who will put their special garland upon the Son of God's head. Let's quickly notice it tonight. Now you may want to take out a pencil and somewhere, oh, in your Bible, scratch these things down. But my how, it would be far better if God were to take an eternal pen and write these things upon my heart and upon your heart as well. Where? Did all these crowns come from number one? The tortured martyr, Revelation two ten. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. <coughs> be thou, <coughs> excuse me, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. A person who will place their special garland upon the Son of God's head is the tortured martyr. In Revelation 2.10, the Apostle John tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ promised the believers in the church at Smyrna that if they lost their lives because of persecution, they would receive the crown of life. It is important for a person to there understand that Smyrna, oh, was the second of the seven local churches in Asia. Its name means myrrh or bitterness. It was from the first to the fourth century that Smyrna suffered persecution under the Roman emperors. It was in the city of Smyrna that in 168 A.D., Polycarp, that great Christian firebrand, was put to death. And some seem to think that he may have been the last person who carried on a conversation with John the Beloved. The songwriter must have had this same truth upon his heart when he took the songwriter's pen and placed upon songwriter's paper, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others thought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas. No, I must fight if I should reign and endure the pain supported by thy word. Friend, you and I need to know that the tortured martyr will place their crown upon the Lord Jesus Christ head. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.3 Now therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. When the believer looks through the telescope of scriptures and sees saints getting the garland of life, it should make them ashamed for giving up because someone slammed a door in their face. Snubbed the or because someone slandered them for their fundamental stand. Mark it down, the Christian of the 21st century who makes America their home doesn't even have a clue on what suffering for Jesus is all about. I had a young preacher say to me not long ago, uh, Dr. Hamlin, they're they're talking bad about me. I said, praise the Lord. He, He said, no, you don't understand They're talking bad about me. I said, praise the Lord. He said, no, 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 you're not getting it. They're talking bad about me. And for the third time, I said, praise the Lord. He said, praise the Lord. I said, absolutely. Because if they're talking bad about you, that means they're not talking bad about me at the moment. So praise the Lord. They're talking bad about you. But friend, we really don't know what suffering for Jesus really is all about. I, some time ago, was reading that Christian classic, Fox Book of Martyrs. And I need to interject that the next time that you feel discouraged uh, because your foreman cussed you out for passing out a gospel tract, or you feel depressed because uh, at your family reunion some families avoid you uh, like you got the coronavirus, um, what you need to do is read about a dozen pages in the Fox Book of Martyrs and discover uh, you got it made in the shade uh, drinking, lemonade. Some time ago I was reading that Christian classic Fox Book of Martyrs and uh, I came across a paragraph uh, about a man named John Stillman and the paragraph was only uh, inches uh, high and inches wide and the author wrote John Stillman I quote charged for speaking against the worshiping Praying and offering sacrifices to images and denying the carnal and corporal presence in the sacrament of Christ's memorial. It went on to read that paragraph. John Wycliffe, another outstanding reformer, he called a saint in heaven, and because of that, the last line in that paragraph, inches high and inches wide, simply read, "Delivered under the sheriff's." Of London to the openly burned 1518. Now, here's what we need to understand about that one little line delivered under the sheriffs of London to the openly burned 1518. Uh, what would happen is they would lead uh, the uh, Christian into the center of town, and they would stack around him all sizes and shapes uh, of flammable objects, and more times than not, uh, they would, uh, their uh, tie, and by the way, they would uh, chain him to a post, or chain her to a post, uh, lest the fire would there uh, with their, uh, uh cause an escape uh, from the ropes and they would then finish it off chaining that believer to the pole. They would finish it off by putting a bag of gunpowder around their neck and often uh, the intense heat uh, or a stray spark uh, from uh, uh, the fire would ignite uh, uh, that bag of gunpowder bag of gunpowder and literally blow their head off the shoulders of the child of God. That's what that little line means delivered under the sheriffs of London to be openly burned, fifteen, eighteen. Hey, Christian, John Stillman, who many of us are not even worthy uh, to carry his lunchbox, may have only gotten a, a paragraph inches high and inches wide uh, in the Fox Book of Martyrs, but there's coming a day where he'll receive a crown that will outshine a million blazing suns. Where did all those crowns come from? Well, they came from the tortured martyrs. Number two, let me hasten, and I know I'm going to get stuck here. In fact, I may get so stuck here that I miss my flight tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Number two, the true minister. First Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. A person who will place their special garland upon the Son of God's feet, or rather the Son of God's head, will place their special garland there is the true Minister in First Peter 5:4. The Apostle Peter tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ promised the preacher that if he remains precise in his ministry, he would receive the crown of glory. This tremendous truth should make the heart of the pastor, evangelist, and missionary glad that God does not miss their spiritual, emotional, and physical energy they expel in the work of God. Friend, you and I need to know that the true minister will place their crown upon the lovely Lord Jesus Christ's head. Now, there are several marks of a genuine man of God. Not everybody that says they're a preacher is the genuine article. Not everybody that says they're a preacher is the real deal. Not everyone that says they're a preacher is uh, um, what they ought to be. But there are some telltale marks uh, of a genuine man of God. Uh, First of all, He's fundamental. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. The instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. A mark of a genuine man of God is uh, he's fundamental. A bona fide preacher gives his doctrinal statement every time he steps to a pulpit and places an open Bible on the pulpit he's giving His doctrinal statement. I remember when I was a young man starting in evangelism, uh, now some 40 plus years ago, I remember I'd have preachers come to hear me preach. And uh, they'd come by, and I know this is going to date me, they would come by the tape table. (laughs) That dates me. Uh, There was a time when preaching was on tape. There are folks that are under the sound of my voice tonight that you have no idea what I'm talking about. You're wondering, scotch tape, electrical tape, duct tape? No, there was a day when preaching was on tape. I do not go back to the time when preaching was on tablets. Uh, uh, That's uh, Brother Caldwell Sr.'s time. (laughs) That goes back to his time. But preachers would come to hear me preach, and uh, as a young man they would say, uh, uh, Brother Hamlin, do do you have a doctrinal statement? I'd say, absolutely. And I'd lead them over to the tape table and I'd just randomly uh, pick up a tape and I'd hand it to them and say, that's $3. Say, what are you saying? I'm saying that every time a preacher preaches, he's telling you what he believes. Every single time. Every single time, every single time a preacher stands to preach, he's telling you exactly what he believes. A mark of a genuine man of God is that he is fundamental. Uh, Secondly, uh, he is, oh my, firm. 1 Timothy 5.20, them that sin, rebuke before all that others also may fear. A mark of a genuine man of God is, uh, he is firm. It is the phony clergyman that never cries out against the sinful practices of the church in the world. He's firm. Members of the Faith Baptist Church, don't you get mad at, at, uh, at your man of God when he gets up and says some things are wrong. Don't you get upset at your man of God when he gets up and says some things are sin. Don't you get upset with your man of God, Faith Baptist Church, when he hits that pulpit, and I mean to tell you, just absolutely uh, kicks it right down the hall and nails it to the wall and tells you that is wrong. You may want to write this down somewhere. America is not in the shape she's in because the preaching has been too hard. America is in the shape she is right now because the preaching has not been hard enough. I have a dear friend by the name of Dr. Don Green. I love Dr. Don Green. Dr. Don Green has been at the uh, Parker Memorial Baptist Church uh, since uh, uh, McDonald's opened in California, the original McDonald's, since at Disneyland opened in California. I mean, he's been at the Parker Memorial Baptist Church that long. He's one of my heroes. I love Dr. Don Green. In fact, since I've been in this meeting, you'll find it interesting. Uh, Brother Caldwell, Dr. Green called me, and I did not take the call. You see, you just said he's one of your heroes. It's true. You just said that you love him. That's true. You just said that you have great respect for him. That, that's all true to the 100th power. But he called me while I was in this revival meeting, and I didn't take his call because when he calls, this is what he says, Brother Brady, uh, Brother Brady. I was praying, and Jesus told me to call you and tell you, you're supposed to preach for me tonight. That's what he says. And I would say, well, I'm in West Virginia with, with Brother Caldwell, and he'll say, I don't know anything about a Caldwell. I'm just telling you what Jesus told me to tell you. Now, now maybe you could help me how, how do you answer that without appearing like you're a heathen and so what I do is I don't take the call don't tell him and when I land tomorrow morning early in Detroit I'll call him back and I'll say hey Dr. Green I'm sorry I missed your call and he'll say you deliberately missed my call I love Dr. Darn Green love him he's against everything I mean things that aren't even wrong he's against. First time, Brother Baines, I ever preached for Dr. Don Green. He said, i got to ask you, do you have a TV? I said, no, sir, I do not have a TV. (laughs) Mrs. Hamlin has five. But I do not have a TV. He's against everything. We were preaching together one time, and uh, he had the first slot, and he got up and preached. And, and, he, and, he, and it somehow, somehow in the outline, he started to preach against Hershey bars. If I'm lying, I'm frying, he's preaching against Hershey bars. And he said, I hate pimples. And he said, teenagers have pimples. And he said, teenagers have pimples because they eat Hershey bars. And then preached against Hershey bars. By the way, that kind of preaching, that won't hurt you. That'll help you. It won't hurt you. When I go there to preach for him, I always try to think of something that he'd never preached against. (laughs) Now, keep in mind, he'd been there since Disneyland opened. Mm -hmm. He'd been there since the first McDonald's hamburger went out the Golden Arches. I mean, he's been there forever. I think Moses wrote on one of his Sunday (laughs) school buses. He's been there forever. And every time I go, Brother Burton, and I preach for Dr. John Green, I always try to think of something to preach against that, that he hadn't preached against. And, and the last time I was there, I preached against Bible covers. Oh, yeah. Now I don't believe it, but I went ahead and preached against Bible covers. And I said, if you love your Bible, you wouldn't hide it in a cover. You're ashamed of your Bible. And I don't believe a word of that. But it got me a big love offering, and he was impressed. And he said, My, I never thought about preaching against Bible covers. Don't you you get upset with your pastor. Members of Shenandoah, don't you get upset with your pastor. Don't you do it. He's firm. He's firm. He's firm. God deliver us uh, uh, from uh, uh, this type of preaching that's going on. It has no bite. It has no edge. It has no authority. God help us. Amen. He's firm. Amen. Thirdly, He's fiery. <laughs> you say, No way, way. Thirdly, he's uh, uh, fiery. 2 Timothy 4, 5. Be watchful, uh, or rather, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. A mark of a genuine man of God, he is fiery. An honest preacher always has a furnace uh, for a heart when it comes to his preaching. He's fiery. I don't think I can tell it without crying. But one night in a meeting just like this, I was preaching for my mentor, Dr. Tom Malone Sr. I was there in a revival meeting. And after I finished preaching, Dr. Malone took the pulpit of the Emanuel Baptist Church and he said, folks, for many, 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 many years, he said, Dr. B.R. Lakin held the record of being the preacher outside of myself that has preached more in this pulpit than any other preacher. And he said, tonight... Dr. Hamlin has broke the record and now no one has preached here outside of me more than he has. But the Baines, it was in that revival meeting that uh, after I preached one night and just did what I tried to do, I, I, uh, when I preach, I try, to, I try to mimic a lawnmower loud smoking, a cheap lawnmower, stuck and wide open. That's my goal, to preach like that. And I got done preaching that night, and I mean, there wasn't a thread dry on me. I mean, I was wet from head to toe, and I turned the service over to my mentor, and I mean, I just, you know, let a rip tater chip. I just uh, sat in the crowd's lap and preached up their nose hole in Jesus' name. I I just uh, rolled a a can of uh, crazy under a pew or two and, and just went ahead and preached. I'll never forget it. I turned the service over to him. I hadn't even had an opportunity to turn off the wireless mic. And Dr. Malone leaned into me. And he started to thump me on the chest. And he said, and the mic was on. He said, every time you preach, preach like you preach tonight. And I believe the bruise is still there. Amen. Whatever happened to preaching? Let me, let me chase the rabbit for a moment. Now, I thank God for the president. And, 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 if, and if you're not a President Trump fan, that's, that's your business, but I thank God for him. Yeah. Make America great again. I thank God for him. And it's, it's, listen, our country is in such trouble that we have a socialist, which is the Siamese twin of a communist who may be running for the highest office in our country. Now, I thank God for the president. Not perfect, but I thank God for them. but I, mean, I find it interesting that we have people in our fundamental churches that, that that they got the President Trump bumper sticker and they got the president Trump um, key ring and they got the uh, president Trump email and and they, and I do too I, I do too. they got the president Trump uh, like brother Caldwell's waving at me right now uh, ball cap and I, I got one too I do I've had the privilege of. Having a front row seat at the inauguration. in fact, I was so close for the veins we could have thrown a softball and, and, and hit the podium. Not that we were thinking about that, but I'm just trying to say how close we were. I've heard the President, at Richmond, Kentucky, by a personal invitation on the front row in a, in, in a rally. I thank God for the president, but stay with me now, stay with me. I'm finding in our fundamental churches Christians that they, they love the president. But they can't even take announcements, let alone preaching. They love the president's plain speech. And sometimes he could clean it up a little bit. They love his plain speech. But then they get mad at the pastor. Then they get mad at the evangelist. Then they get mad at the guest speaker. Hey, you ought to shut your piehole? hole. Thank God for the president. But if you can't take preaching and you love the president, There's something wrong right there. Boom! Shakalaka. There's something wrong right there. Don't bow your head. I'm not closing in prayer. You see a mark of a genuine man of God is he's fiery. I hear preachers (laughs) preaching. It's like they're trying to imitate a golf whisper. Preaching's not supposed to resemble a golf whisper. Amen. He's fiery. Amen. Whatever happened to authoritative preaching? Amen. Yeah. Whatever happened to preaching where people on the back row can hear the preacher? Whatever happened to preaching that had, had punch to it? Oh, Lester Wolof used to say, Preachers, we need to get back to preaching porcupine sermons so the people get the point. Amen. Whatever happened? That kind of preaching. Three things nobody ever talks to me about. Three things: what I preach, where I preach, and who my friends are. Amen. Those are just those are just out of bounds. Doesn't matter who you are, out of bounds. Nobody tells me where to preach. In fact, uh, if someone comes up Brother the and says you ought not to preach for so and so, I make a mental note to cancel wherever I'm supposed to be and go preach for him. Amen. Amen. That's how you got me this week, by the way. I was told I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to come here with Caldwell, and that's why, that's why I showed up on your doorstep. <laughs> but I mean, those, those just, those are, those are nope. I mean, nobody, talks to me about those three topics. Whatever happened to that? Mrs. Hamlin's heard me preach more than anybody on planet Earth. And, man, from when I started to preach at seventeen. Until just last week in a revival meeting in Swanton, Ohio. She'd been there every step of the way. Biggest cheerleader I have. But one night, Brother Brady, we're heading to a conference to preach. It was just her and I. And she can say this to me. We've married 37, going on 38 years. And just her and I in the car. And she said, uh, baby, you know what you're preaching tonight? And I said, sweetheart, I'm not sure. I've I'm, I'm kind of got two or three thoughts on my mind and I'm praying about. And she said, and we're going to a conference. I'm preaching. And she said, just her and I. She said, I hope it's not the prodigal who stayed home. That's a sermon that I have. She said, I hope it's not that one. I've heard you preach that so many times, I could preach it. She said, I just hope it's not the prodigal who stayed home. I said, It is now. It is now. It is now. And I went ahead and preached in the prodigal who stayed home. I wish you could have seen her. She sat in that second row, smiled, (laughs) pretended like she was taking notes. She was drawing a picture of me hanging me in her Bible. (laughs) But whatever happened, Whatever happened to barnstorming, Bible preaching, whatever happened to just uh, taking a text uh, and thundering, whatever, I mean, we've got these sermon experts uh, and they haven't even built uh, a spiritual uh, birdhouse. They haven't even filled a calendar for a month, but they got I cast and I pods and I whatever on preaching. I'm glad that the DNA that I have is that preaching that just burns storming Bible preaching. Oh, that every person that is in this service would realize that the marks. Uh, Mrs. Hamlin was getting her nails done the other day. And she gave, uh, the lady at the nail salon, she gave her a gospel track, And she said, uh, my husband wrote this gospel track. I believe it would be a blessing to you. And the lady at the nail salon said, is he, a, uh, is he a preacher? And she said, he is. And the lady at the nail salon said, is he a prophecy preacher? And you know, everybody's wondering about Prophecy. And Mrs. Hamlin, I thought, Brother Baines, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, I'm talking this quick. She said, I said to that lady, yes, ma'am, he's a prophecy preacher. When he gets up and preaches, he can prophesy who's going to get ticked before he gets done. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to get a crown? It's the true minister. And, you know, as I think about these characteristics, um, he's fundamental, and he's firm, and he's fiery. As as I think about those characteristics, you don't have to be around Brother Caldwell three seconds without picking up. He's fundamental. Amen. He's firm. He's fiery. Brother Burton, J. Wilbur Chapman, the great evangelist, used to tell a story about a preacher who had a church member come visit him and say in his office, you're preaching against sin is way too hard. Using words like that abominable thing that God hates and using words like that enemy of God talking about sin and using words uh, uh, like that uh, uh, ungodliness that, that hung Christ on the cross This church member said, preaching like that is going to cause our young people to run to sin instead of from sin. And J. Wilbur Chapman said, the old preacher went into his office and he pulled out a bottle of strychnine. And he said to that backslid church member, he said, would you suggest that I change the label from poison to wintergreen? A true Minister. And then, number three, and last of all, my time's gone. Not only a tortured martyr and a true minister, but number three, and last of all, a tearful messenger. 1 Thessalonians 2 19 For what is our hope or joy? or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming a person who will place their special garland upon the Son of God's head is the tearful messenger. In 1 Thessalonians 2 19 the Apostle Paul tells us that because the Lord Jesus Christ promised him because of personally bringing the Thessalonian believers to the cross a crown of rejoicing. Paul Children in the faith were his promise and pleasure on earth and his prize in eternity. Herein lies the secret. To the Christian life. Those you reach for Christ will cause you hope and joy here and will carry you to a crown of rejoicing over there. Friend, you and I need to know that the tearful messenger will place their special crown upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Psalm 126:6, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. No Christian has to worry about getting this crown who never goes to the altar, who never sheds a tear over the lost. And who never gets overwhelmed with emotion when presenting the gospel to a perishing soul. They don't have to worry about getting that crown. If I were to live a hundred years, I'm closing with this. If I were to live a hundred years, I don't think I'll soon forget an experience that I had in a protracted revival meeting. This would have been back in Oh, the fall of 1982. Brother Burton, a preacher, contacted me, and his name was Brother Howard Woodby. He's with the Lord now. Brother Howard Woodby contacted me, and he said, uh, Brother Hamlin, would you come to the Bible Baptist Church, and would you preach a protracted revival meeting for me? I said, absolutely, be honored to. Now, I had no idea what a protracted meeting was. In fact, if you're in this service tonight, and you know what a protracted meeting is, would you, would you raise your hand if you know what a protracted meeting is? But C does because he's heard this sermon before. <laughs> but I didn't know what a protracted meeting was. And so we set the date for the meeting and uh, the first Sunday the revival meeting came and I was on the front row and the choir sang and Brother Woodby got up to do the welcome and, and then he said, folks, here it is. He said, the evangelist is here and we're starting our protracted revival meeting. And, and he said, he said, now a protracted, he said, I've been telling you, a protracted revival meeting is the kind of revival meeting when we have a date when we're going to start, but we don't have a date when we're going to stop. And on that front row, I said, "Oh no! <laughs> what in the world did I sign up for?" We went six weeks in that protracted revival meeting. Six weeks. I'd only been an evangelism a handful of years. Thus translated, only had about twelve sermons. We went six weeks. I had 12 sermons. You say, what'd you do? Well, I'm not going to tell you all my secrets. But I will say, I never appreciated the sword of the Lord anymore <laughs> than I did in that protracted revival meeting. I mean, I was standing at the mailbox every Friday waiting for the sword of the Lord to come. I preached those 12 sermons. And then I got an idea where I would uh, rearrange the points of the 12 and put new titles on them and preach them again. And they made no sense, but they seemed to like them better that way <laughs> than the first way I preached them. We went 12 weeks in a revival meeting. The auditorium maybe, maybe would have held 75, maybe. And for 6 weeks you could not use a shoehorn to get another person in the building. Uh, it was a shotgun type of a building and uh, had no lobby, had no foyer, had no vestibule. And so when you came in from the parking lot, you were in the auditorium. And I remember one night the we Caldwell, especially I was in the pulpit preaching, and this might have been week number four. And all of a sudden it was a fall meeting, the, the back door opened, and when it did, it this was uh, in Westland, Michigan, fall of the year. It, it, it blew in like a small little uh, cyclone of leaves. And right behind that small little cyclone of leaves from the outside came a wheelchair and a man pushing a man in a wheelchair. The man that was pushing the man in the wheelchair looked for a place to sit. There was no place to sit. And they just stayed on the back of that auditorium. I was already preaching. I didn't recognize them. Gave the invitation. And when I gave the invitation... The man in the, the man pushing the man in the wheelchair came forward with the man in the wheelchair, and they both got saved. Amen. I asked them both after the service. I said, "Now tell me, uh, you've got, you got family that come to the Bible Baptist Church?" He said "No." The man in the wheelchair did. I said, uh, "You heard about the meeting uh, from another, another sister church?" He said "No." I said, they, they've been promoting the meeting because it's gone so long and they've been promoting on the radio. You, you, you heard the Christian radio station heard about the revival meeting. He said, no. That's said, I've got to ask. You got, you got a gospel track? He said, no. And he pointed to the man that was behind him who pushed the wheelchair. He said, this is my caretaker. He said, and I, I live in a nursing home not too far from here and I pay this man to take care of me and he had picked me up to take me out to eat and we passed the church. And the parking lot was packed. And he said, the lights were on. And he said, just something in the inside said to me, you need to stop. They have what you need. And as he told that Brother Caldwell, the man that was his caretaker, tears, like the man in the wheelchair, his eyes, tears were coursing down his cheeks from his eyes. I can take the rest of the evening and and tell you things that happened in that protracted revival meeting that if I lived 100 years, I would never, ever forget. I remember one day in particular Brother Woodby said to me "Uh, Brother Hamlin would you go with me to make a call on a man that uh, is uh, saved but he needs to follow the Lord in scriptural baptism I said yes sir be happy to And so we went to this man's house, and we knocked on his door, and he didn't live too far from the church, and he was there, and he invited us in, and he had Brother Bain, his friend, uh, who uh, was there seated on the couch, and he happened to have a, uh, uh, well, that day's issue of uh, of the Detroit News. And his friend was sitting on the couch, and he had the Detroit News uh, up, and he never... uh, he, the, the believer introduced us to his friend, but his friend never, he, he, never, he never pulled the paper down. He, he never dropped an edge. I mean, he just, he just kept reading that Detroit news like we weren't even there. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm about maybe 20, maybe 20, young preacher. And I watched his brother would be dealt with a believer about baptism. And then I watched as he took that same New Testament and began to deal with that unbeliever, about being born again, and Brother Burton, as young man, I watched as that as that unbeliever kept that newspaper up, and the whole time Brother Woodby's witnessing to him, talking to him about his ever living, never dying soul. He, he never drops an edge. He, he never he never pulls the newspaper down. He just keeps reading the newspaper like nobody is talking to him. Maybe eight minutes, no more than nine. Brother Woodby witnessed. And then he stopped in the middle of the witness and looked at me and nodded his head. I took that to mean, it's your turn. And so I took my soul winner's New Testament and I waded in. I took my soul winner's New Testament and I waited in. I said, I took my soul winner's New Testament. You know, I've noticed recently in some places a soul winner's New Testament is as scarce as beauty cream for Ellen DeGeneres. Back to the sermon. And by the way, am I the only one think that's funny that she promotes uh, with her lifestyle beauty cream? She ought to promote like a hammer. Uh, or, or uh, hey. You keep interrupting me. i got to get back to the illustration. And so I, I waited in. And I don't know, Brother Bain, maybe, I may, maybe, maybe six minutes I went and I mean, that, that man never, I mean, he, he, he never dropped the newspaper. He, he never, I didn't drop an edge. I mean, he didn't pull it down. He, he just, I just kept reading it. And maybe at the six minute mark, I don't know. I realized I was making a record in getting nowhere the fastest I was making a record. So I stopped. As soon as I stopped, Brother Woodby waited in again. Now, you visitors from heaven, I know you don't think this way. But those of us who live in the real world, I thought to myself, now wait a minute. You witnessed to him. He never pulled the newspaper down. You nodded at me for me to witness to him. He never pulled the newspaper down. Now you're going to witness to him again. And it's obvious he is not interested. And now it's getting late in the day. And I got to try to find a sermon in the sword of the Lord before I (laughs) preach tonight. We are wasting our time. I said to myself, Preacher, about the moment I had that thought, for the Howard Woodby dropped to his feet in the living room of that little home, and he began to weep. And he crawled across that living room, and he wrapped his arms around that man's legs and began to witness again, but this time with tears streaming down his cheeks. I've lived in Michigan this month. will make 59 years. We're not known for earthquakes. But that afternoon, as brother Woodby had his arms around that man's legs, weeping and witnessing. I don't know, Brother Bain, but all of a sudden, and we're not known for earthquakes, all of a sudden that newspaper yeah. began to shake. And all of a sudden that newspaper came down and when it did, that man was weeping. And in less time than it takes to tell it, he was on his knees and had received Christ as his Savior. Brother Amen. Amen. John, not only did that man get saved, but I pray a young preacher that afternoon learned a lesson he'll never forget. And it's compassion that makes the difference. A tearful, messenger. Shame on us when our witnessing, if you're to take out the word, the place heaven, and and take out the word's forgiveness of sin, and, and take out the name Jesus, shame on us when we could plug in vitamins, vacuum cleaners, whatever, and it's just as hollow. Because there's no heart there's no tear. There's no burden. The tearful messenger. Back to our text. Back to our text. I preached all that. I preached all that to make three quick statements. I was preaching the other night and I said that. I preached all that to make three quick statements. Lady said to me at the book table, You know, if you'd have just given us the three quick statements, we could have been home by now. <laughs> couldn't believe Mrs. Hamlin said that to me. I just, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Three quick, three quick statements. Statement number one, we have to understand where this falls in the doctrine of the second coming. You know there are verses in the Bible that uh, are rapture verses. Then there are verses in the Bible that are revelation verses. Rapture verses are not revelation verses and revelation verses are not rapture verses. And so this is uh, the second part of the doctrine of the second coming. What has happened is, the rapture has taken place. Between the rapture and the revelation, which is Revelation chapter 19, in heaven is celebration. There's the judgment seat of Christ. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb. In heaven, during, during, During tribulation, there's celebration. Then we come to our text. Jesus is coming back in Revelation. The seven years of tribulation have passed on earth. The seven years of celebration have passed in eternity. So now we're coming back with Jesus riding on a white horse. Watch this. The crowns that are on His head were given to Him by you and I, while on earth there was tribulation, in heaven celebration. Second statement. That first one was pretty long. Second statement. The number of crowns He wears in our text is determined and decided by the number of crowns we give Him. Third statement, I'm done. I don't want when Jesus returns for His enemies to find one less crown on His head because I washed out. Because I wiped out. I want His enemies to know that I loved Him enough to serve Him, to get a crown, to give Him back that crown that He would wear it. In Revelation, where did all these crowns come from? Our heads are bowed.